Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. Our prayer is that these weekly messages will inspire you to life change through the principles found in God's Word. Let's join in for this week's it is, message. It is good to be at LifeGate today. It is good. Good to be with my friends, Pastor Chad, Pastor Amber. I've known them now for 10 years, and uh, it's just awesome to see what's happened in this church as this church has grown and grown and grown, and you're here, and I know they're so proud of you and uh, the pursuit of God upon your lives. Now, i got to be honest with you. My, my kind of natural tendency or lane is to uh, be loud and obnoxious and to, like, get up in people's faces, man, like, just just crazy. I, I get to do a lot with students, and uh, I know, I know, I know, and I'm balding, middle-aged white guy, and you're like, what are you still hanging out with students for? You got puppies in the trunk, you're trying to sell candy, you got free Wi-Fi in your back left pocket. No, 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 no none of that stuff, none of that stuff. I just believe in the next generation, the next generation needs Jesus. I like students because students in the first service, they're over here, they're all jumping and going all crazy and stuff. And, and like when we get old, right, it's like we kind of stop jumping, we kind of stop moving, and like we stop responding. I, I still like preaching to teenagers because they'll respond, right? I mean, they'll respond, they'll get up, they want to change the world. And some of you, you already realize that you, like the world's not really going to change, and yet they still believe it's going to. And it's fun, it's fun preaching to students, but that's not my assignment. Uh, my assignment has come in over these next three weeks. Can you believe it? I'm going to be here three weeks. And some of you are really going to like me. You're going to be like, yeah, it's great, great. And some of you are going to be like, dude, let, I can't wait for Pastor Chad to come back. Like, man, Pastor Chad brought this guy in so that he could, like, really see how great Pastor Chad is. You'll be like, ready for Pastor Chad to come back. Ready for Pastor, Pastor Chad. I can't wait. You're going to be sending him text messages and little love emails and all that. You'll be like, can't wait for you to come back. Can't wait. Can't wait. Because you're going to get this loud mouth, obnoxious, balding, middle-aged white guy off the stage. But I'm here, I'm here on an assignment for Pastor Chad to talk to you about this word that has been so important to you this season. It's called family. It's called family. And to me, family is so important. And I'm usually screaming and hollering and preaching the gospel and talking about living hot for Christ and all this kind of stuff. But I love talking about family. I love talking about family. So over these next three weeks, we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about parenting. And you're saying, but I'm not a parent, but you're going to be. I'm a student, I'm still in middle school or high school, but you're going to be a parent one day. I mean, it's going to happen. Oh, I know there's the like come and go of that, but, but either way, whether you're a grandparent, you're a parent, you're going to be a parent, or you're a student, we all need family. We all need someone ahead of us and behind us and next to us to really encourage us along the way. Listen, I'm going to be 68 years old, I'm going to have a hearing aid and probably a hip replacement, and I'm still going to need a father. And yet at the same time, I'm still going to need to be a father. Oh, by that point, my kids will be out of my house, and I'll probably have four or five grandkids. Yet I'm still going to need to be a father to my kids and my grandkids along the way. You see, we always need family no matter where we're at. You say, Kyle, we're never going to have kids, and that's fine. But I bet there's some kids in your neighborhood or some students in this church that you could be a mother or a father to. Oh, our kids have been out of our house, and our grandkids was eight hours away. Well, that's fine, but I bet there's some people at your work or at a school or or in your neighborhood, or even in this church, that you can pick up and adopt into your family, that you can use some of the principles that we talk about over these next three weeks. So family, it's all in our face, and I'm here to talk to you about it, because family is so important to me. Why? Because family is what I, is what I want to be. I come from a home where my mom's been married now six times. My dad just got married a couple years ago for the fifth time. 
I wasn't super happy with him. I, I, I'm not dishonoring my parents or their life or the decision they made. There's some ups and downs and things they couldn't control and some things they, they could control. Either way, along that process, I was a child of a dysfunctional divorced family, and I had to deal with those repercussions. I don't blame my parents for all the things, but I have to understand that I come from a home that put some things upon me that I didn't ask for. They were out of my control. But what I could control was my life moving forward. The day I graduated high school with that silly little cap on and that dumb long gown, and I walked across the stage, and I became my own man, and I took out and went to college and got myself a job. From that day forward, I decided that things were going to be a lot different. I was going to create a destiny for me and my family that was different than my mom and dad. It doesn't mean I hate my mom and dad. I respect them as Exodus chapter 20. I honor them. I love them. I still have a great relationship with them, but I decided something different for my path, for my family. I was like, I was like a little bouncing ball. Bam. Started way back in the third grade and the fourth grade and fifth grade. And it just, it felt like someone was constantly throwing me on the ground and I was bouncing and bouncing. I was going all around the room. I lived most of my life with my grandma and thank God for grandmas who raised children. I was at aunt's house, at uncle's house, and grandma's house, and mom's house, and dad's house. I remember going from mom's house to dad's house, dad's house to mom's house, every other weekend, put my little chubby white cheek up against the window, and looking up to heaven, and going, is anything ever good going to come from my life? Is anything good, God? Because I'm really, really sick of it right now, because in those days, I really struggled with anger really bad. I'm talking punching the cat, kicking the dog, pouring out goldfish bowl, ninja stars across the room, holes through the sheetrock, kick foot through the door. I'm talking all of it. I was out of control, a rage monster. Because of all the stuff going on in my life and the things I had to deal with that I, that I couldn't control. So to me, the greatest thing you could ever call me is a great husband and a great father. I don't, I don't care what kind of house I live in. I'm, I may never live in a mansion. I don't care what kind of car I drive. I don't care what kind of clothes I wear. I don't have the coolest, latest fad of clothing. I, I don't have the greatest haircut. I don't have a Range Rover. I don't have five pairs of Jordans in all the colors of the rainbow. I, I don't care about any of that stuff or what stages I've preached on or who I know or where I've been or traveled around this country and world. It, it, none of that matters to me. When I die, I want whatever preacher is still alive because I'm going to live a long time. Whatever preacher's still alive that wants to take up the responsibility of burying my body, I want them to say that he, he was an unbelievable father. He's a great husband. Why? Because against all odds, I fought through with the grace and the mercy of God and his strength and his spirit to do something I shouldn't have done. You see, I should have already been on Jerry Springer by now. By my age, I should have already been married two and three times like my mom and dad were. By my age, I should have already been bankrupt. By my age, I should have already walked the same life as a statistic. But I I grew up and I said, I will not be a statistic. I will fight through because family is what I want to live for. My wife will be here in the next couple weeks. My son is 10. He's here with me. My daughter, she's 13. She'll be here as well in these next three weeks as well. I will introduce you to my family. I don't care if you ever say I was a great preacher. I don't care about that. I was a great father. And I want to talk to you about parenting. And parenting is so awkward, isn't it? Because we all have different beliefs. We all have different ways of doing it. You're going to parent different than the way I do. And you're going to parent over here different than the way 
he or she does it, right? I mean, it's going to be different. And so I want you to understand that in these next three weeks, I'll talk to you about parenting and family, try to lay a biblical foundation of what God says about parenting and the way we're supposed to do it and have family. I want you to understand that number one, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. I'm a dad that is just on a raw root passion to try to figure it out. And every day I still struggle. Every day there are times I do things wrong. Man, just a couple years ago, I had a rage monster outbreak. I hadn't had one in forever. I got mad and angry and I looked like a complete fool and idiot in front of all my family. I got so mad. You know what I had to do? I had to set my son and daughter on the steps of my house and weep my eyes out in front of them and beg for forgiveness and repent like a man. So I'm not perfect. Not an expert. Haven't written a book on parenting. Probably never will. But I am a passionate man of God that wants to be labeled as a great father and a great husband. And when we talk about parenting, there's so many different ways, aren't there? And I don't want you to criticize my way, and I'm not going to criticize yours, Ray. I'm going to try to give you a flat, a flat base level of what parenting is all about from the Word of God as we look at some examples. And so I want you to get it because that why? Like, like literally parenting is what? It's the greatest responsibility we have that comes with great challenge, but also great reward, isn't it? Like, it's the hard thing. It's the grit thing. It's easier, dads, you know what I'm talking about, to stay away from home and just focus on work and not deal with the poopy diapers and, Dad, I need some Arterios, and, Dad, the cartoons won't come on. The satellite dish is not working. I mean, like, it's easier to just not mess with it and go. And I know dads like that. I have friends like that. They stay at work till 9 and 10 o'clock so they don't have to be with family. It's hard being a husband. It's hard being a wife. In fact, when we look at the concept of family and parenting, the first and foremost thing that we have to get right is our marriage with husband and wife. And the greatest discipleship tool that God gave us is actually marriage. I know we talk about life groups and small groups. I got my peer group and all that kind of stuff, right? And that's all important and a part of it. But the greatest discipleship tool God gave all of us is marriage. He established it in the beginning in Genesis with Adam and Eve. And he said, I'm going to give you a helpmate, a husband or a wife, and you're going to do life together. And can I tell you, that is the greatest discipleship tool and the hardest wife, because my wife knows me, your husband knows you better than anybody on this planet. They don't just see you on a stage or at work in front of people, putting on all the good show, the great showman. No, no, no. They see you behind the scenes when you don't want to do something, when you've got a bad attitude, when things aren't going well. Your husband and wife know you, and that's the beauty of marriage and the relationship of it that brings down the root of love that you love that person in spite of their weakness. Wow. And it all starts with that marriage and parenting and family. And it's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing, but yet it's the most rewarding because I've been to a lot of funerals and no one ever gets and brags about the cars they had, the jet skis they had down at the lake. They don't talk about their vacation homes. They don't, they don't talk about any of that stuff. When you're at a funeral, what do you talk about? Relationships with family, relationships with friends, relationships, relationships, relationships. Why? Because those are the things that matter most, aren't they? Your husband and your wife, they know you better than everyone else. And we've got to dig into this discipleship tool of marriage and parenting. They say statistically that over 50% of marriages in the United States end in divorce. 
It's no different inside the church. We're not pointing fingers at anybody or over there or that church. Or it, no, no, no. It, it, it's among us. It's the reality. And if marriage is the greatest discipleship tool we have, then watch this. Then we have a lot of incomplete Christians walking around the face of this earth, right? Why? Because we've checked out of the number one institution and covenant God gave us to establish us as a follower of Christ. If I want to be more like Christ, I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better father. That makes me not just coming over. Oh, you, we got to read our word. We got to get devotions. I need to look through Luke and Matthew and Revelation. Oh, I got to read this. But reading this makes me establish my relationships at what? I become more like Christ because becoming more like Christ is not just reading my devotions in the morning. Becoming like Christ is living it out day to day, Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sunday. That's becoming like Christ through my relationships and his word blended and balanced together. You follow me? So let's start, let's start, let's start. I, I, I'm just warming up. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Yeah, you're warmed up. You, you came ready warmed up when you yelled at this guy's face, right? You scared him and he's gone now. <laughs> Listen, this week I want to talk to you about just a couple things on parenting. I want to give you three examples of bad parents from the Bible. Bad. Like, these are things we learn from in the negative sense. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the real biblical way Jesus, I believe, gave us to parent and disciple the people around us, our kids around us. And then last week, we're going to have some fun. It's going to be Father's Day. I'm going to talk to you about Samson's dad, big, strong, mighty Samson, his dad named Manoah that you didn't even know existed. We're going to talk about how Manoah was a father. And we're going to talk about some little issues, some issues like uh, with your kids sex? We're going to talk about sex. Why? Because it's important that you parent your kids in a sexual crazed generation. It's important that you walk them through what it's all about. I I want to be the first one that talks on that subject to my kids. I don't want the TV, the internet, their friends, the cafeteria at school, eating them bean burritos. Listen, I don't want them to be the first in line. I want to be the first in line that teaches them how to use technology. You understand, oh, don't, don't put me on the news for this, but I would almost rather give my kids a nine millimeter pistol then give them this phone right here. Why? Because this phone does a lot more damage across this nation than a nine millimeter pistol. Oh, you know what I'm saying. Don't put me on the news, but this is dangerous. So I, I want to talk to you about how we navigate through with our kids, these phones, relationships, friends, the internet, their future, all of it. I know everyone's getting a scholarship to become NFL athletes, but the reality and the statistics say they're not. So how are you going to develop your kid beyond the NFL? Because they're going to be a lifelong follower of Christ a lot longer than that scholarship for baseball playing Burleson Select Sports. So what does it mean to be a good parent? Everyone has a different definition, don't they? I know parents that, man, as long as I just provide for my kids lots of money, everything will be okay. Oh, if I'm just here, if I'm just there, so many definitions of what parenting is. And if I could just boil it down to you real quick, is parenting is this, it's providing spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical support to your kids so that they can find and fulfill their God-given dreams and destiny. 
their God-given potential. What, what is being a good parent? Oh, yeah, we got to give them food, and we got to get them shoes, and we got to give them their cleats for the soccer team, and we got we to get them haircuts every once in a while. I mean, those things get so expensive. I'm about to get some clippers and just start buzzing heads. I mean, that's the way, that's the way me and you do it, don't we? It's cheap and easy, but, man, these kids get expensive, but it's not just physical. It's emotional. I got to stand next to them as they're walking through the bullying at school and all the relationships of boys and girls. I got to be there for them emotionally, and yet I also have to spiritually be authoritative in their life to show them and direct them the right angles and the right ways. So for me, parenting, this is my definition. I'm providing support through physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional ways to help them see and fulfill their God-given potential. That's it. Why? Because all of our kids are going to go on to do different things. Like, it's not all the same. There's no cookie cutter. That's why parenting is so many different ways and definitions. Why? Because some of your kids are going to be professional athletes. Some of them are going to be chefs. Some of them missionaries. One of them in this church may be the next pastor of this church. Some of them may go to missions work in Mexico or China or Africa. We don't know where they go to become architects or engineers or to be bankers or school teachers or football coaches. We don't know where they're going to go. But as a parent, we have to guide them down the path emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, and physically to help them Find what God is calling them to do and then to do it with all their heart, with integrity and character and so much value and then be respectable citizens in our communities. That's a good parent. So then how do we parent? By faith or by fear? I know most do it out of fear, don't we? We have helicopter moms and dads and we try to hover and stay involved. But, but God just simply says, I, I want you to do your part and let me do my part. And together through faith, you can raise up a family. You can raise up a family with faith and not fear. And I, I got to be honest with you. There's a lot of times I slide over to the fear. I, I get scared sometimes when I read the news and I see what's going on in our schools. And I see what's happening. Sometimes my friends, they're, they're getting text messages and I hear what's happening in other cities and other places. I, I, I I get reactive, and I don't want to parent out of fear. I'm just being honest. I don't know if any of you do this, but I, I got to come back, and I got to come back to God's word and say, out of it, out of it, I will, I will, tr- I will trust you, God. Luke 18, the Bible says, they're going to put it behind me. I'll paraphrase for time. Luke 18 simply tells us the story of Jesus and the disciples, and the disciples were kind of tired of the little snotty-nosed kids that didn't make it to kids' church. Hey, get them out of here. Get the kids out. Only the important people. Only the, the, the great scribes and religious leaders, the important church people, lots of money. They get a seat at Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, stop the, don't stop the kids from coming to me. Let them come because this is the kingdom of God right here. The kingdom of God is found in the lives of these children. And so if I could just give you a quick definition of what parenting is again and again and again, it's simply you and I through faith taking our family to the feet of Jesus. Don't stop them. Keep them coming. So what does that mean? It means that right now in this church, there are over 40 students. They're going to downtown Fort Worth to serve the homeless and work in the inner city. What is that? It's getting them at the feet of Jesus. You're, you're taking your kids to camp. That's the feet of Jesus. You're coming here on Sunday morning and coming back for Wednesday nights. And you're doing Bible study and life groups and all those things. It's the feet of Jesus. I'm constantly taking my family, my kids to the feet of Jesus. That's God's way of doing it. And when we put them at the feet of Jesus, as many times as possible, we'll find that our faith begins to grow and that God will do more with them than we could. 
He will do more with them than we can. Why? Because we put them at the feet of Jesus. My job as a, as a father to this young man is yes to develop him athletically. Yes to develop him academically through school. Yes, yes, yes. But if I miss the spiritual side of putting him in at Jesus, he'll never fulfill his God-given destiny. Oh, I got to go. I got 10 minutes. Three things. Three things real quick that we find in Scripture that that in scripture are crazy bad ways of parenting. Number one, there's this guy in Judges chapter 11. They're going to put on the screen. You can research it for yourself. I give you the Reader's Digest version. There's this young man named Jephthah. He was born to a prostitute's home, dysfunctional. He was raised with all these half-brothers and half-sisters, and in the end, they ended up kicking him out of the house because he wasn't one of them. Wait, wait, wait a second. We got mom and dad. You're a half, get, get, you were born of a prostitute. Get out of the house. And so he had a little, uh, uh, little piece of chip on his shoulder, right? And he was mad and upset. He went away, the Bible says, went to another country, collected himself with worthless fellows. His brothers kicked him out, ended up being in a fight. Well, during the fight, they knew they needed Jephthah. Jephthah to come back and help fight. Why? Because through this process, he became a mighty warrior. He developed leadership skills to really kill it in battle. They called Jephthah back, and Jephthah goes, yeah, this is my chance, my moment. I'm going to show them that they should have never kicked me out. Can you see it? But before he went to be kicked out, this is what he said to God. It says, can you go to that next slide there? It said that Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand and whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the Ammonites, it shall be the Lord. And I will offer it up as a burnt offering. What was Jephthah doing? He's saying, God, I'm so willing to make a success out of my life that I'm willing to sacrifice what's, what's in my house. But I don't have time to preach all this, but man, you go research it. It's powerful. He literally sacrificed that afternoon, his daughter, who came running out of the house to meet him. Who came out the door? His daughter, who had never experienced life. The Bible says she was a virgin, and in her request, she said, Dad, let me go celebrate my life and my virginity, and he did. He gave her three months to go and celebrate and enjoy life, and she comes like home, and he literally slaughtered his own daughter on the front lawn of his house. For what? His success. Oh, they, they didn't do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go read the Old Testament and see how many gods they serve that required a child's sacrifice for their own success, fertility, for winning of wars. Go, go look through Scripture how much child, child sacrifice there was. And you say, Kyle, but it's 2018. We don't sacrifice our children anymore. Did you turn your iPhone off? Did you shut down the TV and throw a brick at it? No, no, no. Every day, come walk with me in the schools. I spend a lot of time in schools. Come walk with me in the schools, and I'll show you Jephthah's kids. They are lined up dead as a doornail with no future, no hope, and they've been burned and buried on the altar of their parents' success and greed and lack of discipline, and their parents are trying to win it all, and yet they're losing it all in their home. Jephthah's kids. Got a whole generation of them. The sacrifice on the altar of their parents' greed, self-undisciplined. Un, un, it, it, it's ugly. So what do you do, Kyle? What's the remedy? If that's a bad example, we have to do both. There's a balance. We have to go do business. We have to go have ministry. We have to go change the world. We have to. But at the same time, we can't forsake our kids. And I could just give you a nutshell. I've seen the pendulum switch to where the older generation worked, 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 and abandoned their kids and didn't spend any time with them. And they literally sacrificed their kid. But I see a generation coming up of millennials now, 20 to 35, that are what? Now forsaking their business. And now the kids are the idol. It used to be work was the idol. 
and the kids were on the back burner. Now it's the kid is the idol, and the work is on the back burner. And we're in trouble either way, and the balance is simply this, that we do work and family together in faith with Christ, that he works out all the details. Listen, I don't know how many millennial parents now, they're like, my son, he's going to be president of the United States. My son, he's going to be the quarterback of the Cowboys. My son, my, my daughter, just have you seen them? Look at how many pictures I post on Instagram and Facebook, and they're just great, 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 great. And you're like, whoa, somewhere along the way, you cannot make your kid an idol, nor your job an idol. It's both that God is the idol that we follow and serve, and he can, I don't know how he does it, he can bring both together to give you success in both areas without you sacrificing your family. Second, second, I got five minutes. You're going to go fast right here. In, in Matthew chapter five, in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 20, there's a mother that we believe was put up by her two sons, James and John. She went to Jesus at request of the boys to ask if her sons could jump lines of authority. And when Jesus came into his royal reign of power, that the boy, James and John, said at his right hand and left hand, seats of authority and power, seats that you are supposed to work for and drive through and be through the process. And she just wanted her sons, her teenage boys, to jump through and go straight to the top without work without ethics, without character, without paying the price. Sound like American parents today? Just let my boy go straight to the front of the line. Oh, principal, he is net. I've been a lot of time with principals. Oh, my son has never done anything wrong. He's never messed up. He should be a varsity quarterback. He should be top of the list. He should be number one in the academics. He should be, he should be. And parents, just like this mother in Matthew 20, trying to skip the process, but Jesus inverted or he turned over the triangle because the mom thought the triangle was everyone's at the bottom and you got to work to the top. And she wanted her boys to be straight at the top. But Jesus the triangle and said, no, 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 everyone's at the top and you're working your way down to the bottom because the kingdom of God is actually a descending order. In order to be first, you got to be last. So what this mom forgot to do is to teach her kids how to sit, serve, and sacrifice. And so it is with us. And then I got to teach my son that there will be a day, son, but not now. You got to wait your turn. You gotta pay the price. Come on, this is some old World War II veteran talk, isn't it? You gotta wait your turn. You gotta sit, sit, soak, sit. It wasn't until Jesus was 33 years old. I'm sorry, 30 years old until he started doing miracles. What did he do for 30 years? He sat and learned and absorbed. Sit, serve, and sacrifice. And we gotta teach our kids the same. You gotta serve your teachers. You gotta serve your coaches. You gotta serve your church. You gotta serve your neighborhood. You gotta serve your mom and dad. You gotta serve. You gotta serve. And this is gonna take a sacrifice. In order to get to the top, in order to get to the top, you gotta sacrifice something. It's not gonna come just because you jump to the front of the line. Listen, there's no flash pass in the kingdom of God. You can't walk up to the season ticket, uh, Six Flags door, and say, I got $500. Have you seen how much those things are? I got $500 and me and my family, we're gonna just skip to the front of the line. There's no skipping in the kingdom of God. You got to teach your kids how to sit, serve, and sacrifice. And I could go for hours on that, but my last one, my last one is this. In Genesis chapter 37, there was a dad. His name was Jacob, and he had a lot of sons, 12 of them exactly. And his last son was named Joseph. And the Bible says Joseph was the favorite. In Jacob's eyes, he was the favorite. And remember what? Remember what Jacob gave Joseph? He gave him a coat of many colors. It was actually a coat of a king. It was royalty. 
It was a sign or a symbol of royalty. And I thought how powerful it was that Jacob would give Joseph a royal coat that he would actually, I don't have time to get in this either, but he was actually prophesying over him that he he would one day be royalty. And I love it. He started treating him like royalty before he ever was. And he did, remember? He jumped up all the way to the top. He was with Potiphar and king and all the people of the land. He was over all the famine and the feast. I mean, Joseph did, and as a young kid, his dad gave him that coat, and it was an act and a symbol. But where did Jacob go wrong? He did it in front of all the brothers. And it created division and separation. He started treating one different than the others. And then when Joseph had his dreams, the two dreams, what did he do? He went to the brothers and made it even worse and told them the dreams. And the dreams didn't belong in the brothers' heads or hearts, but the dreams belonged back to the father. He should have went straight to daddy and told daddy the dream. But he didn't. He went to the brothers. Our dreams come from, we'll get into this next week, uh, our, our dreams come from our fathers, and they go back to our fathers. Wow. And it wasn't that he treated Joseph wrong. He just didn't treat everyone else the same. All your kids need to be treated like royalty. All of them need robes. It doesn't mean they're all going to be president. Some doctors, some lawyers, some architects, some teachers, but all of them need a coat from me and you. They all need to be distributed some lane of authority that says, son, I'm giving it to you. Now you begin to walk in it. Why? Because our kids as fathers and mothers, they gain their identity from us. Not the, oh, some of them do, the internet and friends at school. But come on, in a spiritual home, their identity comes from us. And I have a responsibility as dad to put a coat of many colors on all of my children and say, go walk. But those coat little ceremonies go behind closed doors. I can take you to my phone where a year ago, me and my son had a moment at a New Mexico Assembly of God camp where I called him up to the front during altar time and I began to anoint his ear, his thumb, and his foot that God would send him out. And we sat there for 45 minutes weeping in each other's arms and that was my time to give a royal coat to my son to walk in the authority that dad is giving you. All your kids need a coat. But pick the time and the season, unlike Jacob, when and where to give it and create unity in your family, not division.